0: their hearts beating loud. can't keep those california indians
1: down hello everyone you're listening to american indian airwaves county radio From marcus lopez i'm your host for the hour larry smith on today's program covid19 and urban indigenous los angeles community responses impacts and cultural health implications as we hear from indigenous community leaders throughout the region. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves, Cowdy Radio.
0: You can hear when the moon shines bright, the lone food
1: Program. Today on American Indian Airwaves, we go to the heart of the Tongva, Gabarino, and surrounding California indigenous nations of the Tataviam, Chumash, and Ahachman peoples, known as Los Angeles and Orange County, to talk about urban indigenous Los Angeles communities' responses, impacts, and cultural health implications of the COVID-19 epidemic. The Los Angeles County urban indigenous population is one of the largest urban Indian populations throughout the United States. Our guest for the first segment of today's program is from the Taos Tewa Pueblo Nations. She is a Los Angeles City and County Native American Indian Commission County Supervisor and, and is an OBGYN gyn nurse practitioner. And she serves the indigenous or larger American Indian community as a clinician at the United American Indian Involvement Community Clinic since 2006. I spoke with Pat Lopez on the urban indigenous community's responses to the COVID-19 epidemic as figures regarding contagion and people passing on spiking throughout the state of California, but also within the Los Angeles County area. This is our first segment on today's program on COVID-19, urban indigenous Los Angeles, community responses, impacts, and cultural health implications. And now Pat Lopez.
2: You know, I'm a clinician over at United American Indian Involvement for the last uh, 10 years now. And now our population is 100% Native The uh, patients that we accept, and um, they range from infants all the way to very senior citizens, uh, a large percentage of homeless, um, you know, un- unsheltered people as well, who tend to live around UAII, you know, for comfort. So, at the present time, I'm furloughed, but I do hear from my patients because they also happen to be my friends, you know, and so uh, we're one and the same. I mean, our community is spread over long distances, you know, all over, um, you know, the greater um, LA County area. You know, we do come together for social events, for powwow, for ceremonies, for welcoming in new tribal members to get them accustomed to this, you know, the urban setting. So our patients are from 200-plus tribes nationally, and we do take California ancestry. So we do service the California native in our uh, local area as well. But at the present time, you know, we are not seeing our regular patient base. I mean, we are only taking our present clients, no new clients. So because Dr. Blackwater is the only clinician there now. Wow. You know, since I'm gone, so she can't, you know, can't be overwhelmed. She has to concentrate on our uh, diabetics that are uncontrolled and uh, the consequences of that. And so that's what's happening at the clinic. So for the patients that I would see, and I'm an OBGYN and also family, you know i I really some of them tell me, well I'm trying to get services at Planned Parenthood or other clinics, but they're so overwhelmed, you know, and so i I really, really am feeling like I sincerely want to go back and and be in the clinic to service these patients of ours, but I know it wouldn't be right for you know, for me to do that because my husband is immunocompromised, you know, and I owe it to him to be safe. But the good thing is that our client base, our, um, our case managers, encourage them to get outside insurance so they don't have to rely on us, especially for advanced care. And we in the clinic always promote that as well. We say, we need you to have insurance. In case we have to send you for more advanced care, you have to have insurance, you know. So luckily, you know, they, they do have options, you know. Uh, they consider, you know, our clinic their their home base, you know, for and for on many different levels. You know, when we see our clients, you know, it's a social thing. You know, we greet each other with our traditional greetings, you know, and we hug and we laugh during the course of the visit. Like Native people do, it's you know it's not us versus them, we're all in this together, you know and and they realize that the services we provide provide them are from the heart you know and from a cultural knowledge, so right now, I know that they're feeling that you know that it, it feels kind of empty, you know, that we don't we don't see our elders down in, you know, doing crafts in the community center. We don't see our high school students walking around, you know. We just it's just very lonely, you know. It's very lonely, and we don't have our community surrounding us except on the internet, which is not a good um, not a good feel for Native people. <laughs>
1: Well and 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 that just stresses that that importance of community, right? In person community in relationship to to spaces and particular spaces in an in an urban environment like Los Angeles City and LA County where we're so decentralized and so spread out and but also how important UAI is in, in other yes. uh, places like that, because it, it's not just a, a medical facility, it is a cultural foundation within the community. Um,
2: exactly. And so right now, what I'm feeling is this urge. I want to see my, my unsheltered patients you know that I've established relationships with down in the community center, and I'm worried about them you know, and I don't know what's going on with them, and nobody else at UAII does either, you know, and it's just very worrisome and
1: you know in addition to that i was you mentioned uh, or implied the the lack of resources that are available to help various segments of the larger urban indigenous population and how well is the infrastructure if you will at uai or any other indigenous institutions that uh, would be helping and in assisting indigenous peoples and families out here in los angeles and um, you know i asked that question because I know, you know, Congress passed, right, the Coronavirus yeah. Aid Relief Economic Securities Act, and that mm-hmm. allocates about a little over a billion dollars to support Indian health services. But Indian mm-hmm. health service hospitals have, um, yeah. my understanding, only 625 beds nationwide, six mm-hmm. intensive care unit beds, and 10 ventilators. Mm-hmm to service yep. Indigenous peoples. And mm-hmm. s- so could you put that into context <laughs> with what UAI um, is capable of providing and in, in helping the larger urban Indigenous population?
2: Okay, we have done several things. You know, I'm a Native American Indian Commissioner appointed by Supervisor Janice Hahn and um, um, Don Kanabi before her. And so... Uh, We have been working, the three of us uh, have formed, from the commission, have formed an ad hoc committee where we have gathered uh, through Zoom conferences our service providers in the area and our service native service agencies. And so we meet online, we share resources, and uh, UAII has created this incredible list of resources for our community. But I just wonder... How many in our community, other than the younger ones, I know the elders don't have access to it or know even how to navigate it, but maybe their children and grandchildren can help them out because we have a whole spreadsheet of services to access, all the way from interdomestic violence, all the way to EDD, employment, uh, you name it, and it's there. And it's been a compilation done over a period of two weeks by our public health nurses and uh, different uh, people in at UAII, and we share that to all our service providers, meaning TANF, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Temporary Assistance to Tribal Families, uh, Puku, uh Fernandino and Tataviam Nation, mm-hmm. uh, also Gabrielino Tongva, and anybody else who requests to be online with us, mm-hmm. you know, to, I mean, to be at the Zoom conferences that we hold every two weeks. You know, that they could spread the word that these are the resources for you. Get online if you can and, um, you know, access these services. But, you know, a lot of these things are like, I hate to say it, but right now they're a panacea. I don't know anyone who has really been able to get through to EDD for unemployment insurance. You know, I hear from, from like I said, my patients and, and uh who have become my friends that, you know, we try and we try. And one person was telling me she was online trying to get uh, her unemployment for three hours on hold, you know. And so all these things that they say that we have, they haven't materialized yet. And, you know, our Native population is not used to navigating all these different systems, whether they be city, county, state or federal. You know, they don't come from a background of that if they come from the reservations or the villages, because they just go to the tribal office and get their services. You know, and one of the greatest concerns in our community at this time, it is keeping safe, but they're able to do that. But what it is, is uh, the access to, um, to food, you know, because if you're not getting your unemployment if you're not working you know and you're you're not able to access food even for your children because even though LA Unified and all the outlying school districts in LA County are providing food for the children it's not always easy or available to have transportation to get to that school site so Ah, uh, one of the the issues is lack of transportation. You know, and and not knowing how you're going to pay your rent. You know, rent is like number one right now. You know, our our community, our native community, has the uh, our is the population with the least amount of home ownership. So they rely on rentals. You know, and how are they going to pay their rent if they can't work? If, you know, I think there is a there is a misunderstanding that Native people get this per cap and they get all this money from their tribes every month. You know, that's ludicrous. That doesn't happen except for some of the big casino tribes, tribal members. Other than that, we don't get a per cap. You know, we don't get money to help out with our bills or anything like that. You know, we just rely on, on uh, the systems that are in place. In the areas where we live, you know, but I have to tell you one thing, L.A. County, since we partner with them and are our official commissioners for the county and the city of L.A., uh, the county has come through with diapers and baby wipes and food for our community. And so UAII has taken vans to go our vans that usually pick up people for their appointments, um, to go pick up these items and bring them to uh, UAII or actually deliver them to the homes of our community members.
1: It's so important with um, UAI services, and um, and it really does demonstrate and, and show how central places like UAI are and how critical it is for them to have the necessary resources, if you will, to serve the community just in general, but also in this time of the COVID-19 crisis, if you will. And and you mentioned about informing community members to have backup plans, if you will, or complementary external sources outside of UAI. But when we talk about those kind of resources outside of UAI, Do they get the same kind of um, cultural care, if you will, or cultural experience that doesn't um, aggravate people's um, trauma, if you will, or, or any kind of sickness they may or may not have?
2: No, it does not. It does not. They are not culturally sensitive, even though the um, in LA County, you know, the Department of Social Welfare, the social workers have supposedly have an Indian unit of social workers who cater to the Native communities all around LA County. But at the present time, there is only one gentleman who is half Native and half Mexican in that unit. So how can that unit service? Our community in a culturally sensitive way. They can't and they don't.
1: And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves County Radio on COVID 19, urban indigenous Los Angeles community responses impacts, and cultural health implications. We're speaking with longtime community member and activist Pat Lopez from the Taos Tua Pueblo Nations. She is a Los Angeles City and County Native American Indian Commission County Supervisor Appointee. She is also an OBGYN nurse practitioner working in the Los Angeles County USC Medical Center in the past, and presently she serves the Los Angeles Urban indigenous community as a clinician at the United American Indian Involvement Community Clinic since 2006. And now back to the interview. Given where we are with COVID-19 and and just your accumulation of living experiences culturally in the community, your seat in the commission, um, and just your ex- and your experiences at UAI and all those relationships that you've cultivated and developed and sustained over the years, have you ever seen anything like this uh, in either your own experience or through the stories shared? by community members that's similar to what we're experiencing right uh, now?
2: Not really. I know when I was a very young child when um, that there was a measles outbreak, and I remember hearing stories of that. And you know, measles can be deadly. And I remember uh, my dad at that time, and I was a very young child, but he started giving us traditional medicines to keep us healthy and safe, and also like a yeast cake and cod liver oil every day. <laughs> And, you know, in order to prevent, um, uh, you know, us acquiring bacterial or viral infections, you know, and, but no, I, I don't remember anything like this ever where we were so isolated from our community where, you know, there were no hugs, there were no laughs, there was no communicating on a personal level, you know, on a, it, it just, this is terrifying. I have to tell you. Yeah. and not only uh I'm lucky that I have my family around me I have my son still lives at home my husband but there are other community members elderly who still live in those uh, hotels in on Skid Row who are virtually prisoners of their apartments you know and it's it just, they live on a, such a meager uh, amount of in money anyway. And this is just, I don't know, this is like, uh, like someone told me, go and visit the park. This was before we had the stay at home. She told me, go and visit the parks and the beaches. Go out to nature because who knows how long we will have it. And she really scared the... Jesus out of me by saying that you know because people are thinking end of world they are they truly are and it scares me because there's so much pessimism you know we were we were always pessimistic about whenever the federal government or any government would tell us oh we're going to bring you this oh we're going to do this for you oh we're going to abide by treaty rights we never believed it because it was never true you know and so we, we, we just, we don't believe anything they say. You know, we know that we have to go it alone, ultimately, with our family and our community.
1: Pat, for our Indigenous listeners and community members out there and non-Native folks listening to the show here on American Indian Airwaves, any final thoughts and good words for us?
2: I would say um, try not to be so pessimistic. Keep your traditions alive as much as you can at home and your medicine ways and a lot of prayer talk to creator often and keep in touch with your loved ones back home via internet or uh, cell phones or however you know mail however you can communicate you know don't don't uh, forget about all your loved ones be there for them and they'll be there for you
1: and that was pat lopez longtime community activist and organizer She is presently a Los Angeles City and County Native American Indian Commission County Supervisor appointee. She's also an OBGYN nurse practitioner working in the medical field since 1979, and she presently serves the indigenous urban Los Angeles community as a clinician at the United American Indian Involvement Community Clinic since 2006. She is our first interview of a three-part segment on COVID-19, urban indigenous Los Angeles, community responses, impacts, and cultural health implications. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. We
0: are circling, circling together. We are saying. This is unity, it's a celebration, this is a we are
1: We are circling by Buffy St. Marie, off the album, Power in the Blood, here on American Indian Airwaves. In the next segment of today's program on COVID-19, urban indigenous Los Angeles, community responses, impacts, and cultural health implications... I speak with Dr. Andrea Garcia from the Mandan, Hidatsa, and Arikara Nations. She's an appointed commissioner with the Los Angeles City County Native American Indian Commission and works with the Los Angeles County Department of Mental Health in the American Indian Counseling Center and is a board member for the United American Indian Involvement in Los Angeles. I spoke with her regarding the work that she's doing and what she's experiencing in terms of providing services to the larger urban indigenous Native American community. And now, Dr. Andrea Garcia.
3: I'll take this from two levels. Um, The provider level, I work at the American Indian Counseling Center, which is a part of our LA County Department of Mental Health. And from this perspective, much like all of our other Native agencies, we are seeing people um, in person on an emergency basis only. So basically all of our work has shifted to telephone. What I have been seeing personally, and this might not translate to all of my colleagues, but um, I have found that with our patient population... Accessing them via phone is not always that easy. I heard some colleagues say, like, "Oh, yeah, our no-show rate is like you know down to zero now." But for me, the few times a week that I'm in here, I found that it's harder to get a hold of my patients, and I see them for like medication management. And so, from my perspective, it's a little worrisome because I can't get a hold of them. But the people that I am able to talk to, I've heard that they're you know there's obvious concerns having to do with food and. So really a lot of it is um, sort of social determinants of health needs, so food, accessing unemployment. I've heard that that online portal is overwhelmed, and some folks haven't been able to access those resources for weeks. And so they're worried, you know, real genuine concerns about not being able to pay for rent or, you know, buy the necessities. I would say those social determinants are the major things as well as other things like accessing diapers or their little ones. As for the mental health perspective, some people are, you know, taking it in strides while others, um, you know, certainly seem more anxious about the situation in general. I would say from the community perspective, wearing my commission hat, we have felt the need to do something. <laughs> so... Um, We first thought that um, holding a community webinar, we streamed it on Facebook Live on March 23rd. We thought that that would be helpful to sort of translate, if you will, the information that's already out there. But beyond that, we thought it was important to convene our direct services organizations in order to let them tell folks like the shifts in their services and any additional resources that are available to the community. So we had a lot of organizations represented. Uh, This included... United American Indian Involvement, American Indian Counseling Center, and then Southern California Indian Center. Two, uh, who am I missing? Torres Martinez Tribal TANF and California Native Boat Project. So they all went on and came together to share their resources. What we found from those initial, like, pre-meetings with our organizations is that the leaders wanted to convene um, more frequently. And so we had a follow-up two days after that initial webinar just to share updates with each other um, and also figure out how we wanted to mobilize as a community for for our community. So, we're having a follow up meeting next Wednesday, and things that we're thinking about are how are we providing um, accurate and uniform messaging? Even though we're all from different agencies, how is it uniform uh, as far as like sharing services and resources, et cetera? One idea that we have and that we're starting to implement is having like a shared social media page with COVID messaging only, and then also on that page, um, giving resource updates. So, that's thing we're also considering going after Funding to help hire somebody who might be able to organize across our organizations in a more consistent manner. We're identifying certain barriers for accessing services at each of our organizations. Yeah, that's it in a nutshell. But it, we're sort of again, we're building the ship as we go. But but the main thing is working together to better serve our community.
1: I know last year, last year when we spoke, we we talked about Indigenous homelessness in. Los Angeles County and how prevalent indigenous homelessness is. And I was just curious in terms of the situation with COVID-19, what are some of the compounded effects that community members are experiencing?
3: Yeah, it's really, really difficult for our relatives who are homeless so, I mean, just thinking about the logistics of how COVID or the coronavirus to spread, right? So it could be from a droplet, respiratory droplets, contaminated surfaces. And if you think about our relatives that live on the street, like they're not necessarily able to mask up or have access to um, water stations to wash their hands or, you know, sanitize everything that they come into contact with. Like, you know, they're pretty much out there exposed. And so I think not having access to sanitation is a real concern. And so as you can see, like the city and the county have really, really recognized that and are trying to get ahead of it by opening all of these um, temporary shelters. From the indigenous perspective, you know, we are native serving organi- organizations in LA County do service a lot of folks who are homeless, but unfortunately, like we're not day shelters, right? And so with all of the safer at home recommendations, like we see the need to help our community, but we can't take them into our spaces because of the public health concern that there is. I've seen in Seattle, there's like an indigenous uh, day shelter called Chief Seattle Club, and they're still able to keep their doors open so long as nobody is testing positive. And so they're sort of implementing like these sanitizing measures for the period that the doors are open, but unfortunately, we can't do that for our relatives, and it's really difficult to try to steer them to other resources, especially when we can't have that face-to-face to contact them. Let's say they don't have a phone, for instance. So, honestly, we really don't know the extent to which our community members who are homeless are being affected by this. And it's just really disheartening and extremely concerning.
1: Over the past several weeks, if you will, and especially, you know, as um, the past seven days as the situation is intensifying throughout the region, are you seeing anything that is um, particularly distressing to see? That perhaps we normally don't see outside of just the people that do test positive for COVID-19, or perhaps even members that have moved on.
3: So I heard this on a call yesterday, so I I can't take credit for this, but someone mentioned that um, as far as people have been seeing um, more positive cases in more affluent areas, but the interpretation of that should be cautious because they probably have more access to testing. And so if you think about it that way, I feel that the biggest concern is that the communities who are already more vulnerable because of economic disparities, because of the high risk conditions for COVID already—diabetes, heart disease, um, lung disease—which are highly prevalent in our community—those disparities are only going to worsen. And I feel like that's that happening, but we don't necessarily have a way to track it or measure it because, as a community, we're already undercounted. And so, to me, like that's the most alarming concern: is like how are we going to account for our folks when we already have trouble accessing basic services as it is.
1: And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves on COVID-19 Urban Indigenous Los Angeles, Community Responses, Impacts, and Cultural Health Implications. We're speaking with Dr. Andrea Garcia. She's an appointed commissioner with the Los Angeles City County Native American Indian Commission and works with the Los Angeles County Department of Mental Health and the American Indian Counseling Center, here in the urban Los Angeles area. We're speaking on the experiences and the work that she and others are doing in trying to provide the necessary services to the larger urban indigenous Los Angeles population in the times of COVID-19. And now back to the interview. What kind of um, resources do you have there at the Center for Testing Community Members? So
3: I think that's a hard question. And the reason why it's difficult is because I feel like, um, as I mentioned earlier, more and more labs are getting access to testing kits. And so I feel like if you're lucky enough to be insured, you might have a carrier who's able to do the testing. If you're not, then LA City, for instance, like they have a portal where you could log in. I actually referred a colleague to it the other day. Like if you're a high-risk individual, you could log into this portal and schedule the test but you have to live in LA city. You have to meet the criteria of being high risk and like have the symptoms. So it's all kind of touch and go, and I don't think there's like a uniform way to access it. Plus, the other thing is that not everybody is going to get tested because the presentation of the disease is so different. So if you're a mild case and you have fever but sort of mild upper respiratory symptoms, the advice now is to stay home while your symptoms are mild. If it becomes more progressive and you're short of breath, then you call your provider, and then they can refer you you know, as necessary. But not everybody who has mild symptoms is necessary. Necessarily going to get tested again because of the the deficiencies, but it depends on the situation.
1: In terms of the work that you're doing with the larger urban indigenous communities, what kind of um, recommendations are you and um, AICC? making for community members, just in general, and also for just uh, for community members that are dealing with compounded men- mental health issues, if you will, as a result of COVID-19. So for example, you know, folks finding themselves unemployed, underemployed, or perhaps overemployed. And and of course, if you're overemployed, that means you probably work in an occupation that elevates your, your risk exposure to COVID-19 and also increases your probabilities of putting being a potential carrier of COVID-19?
3: So I would say in general, and again, I don't want to speak for all of the agencies, but Based on the webinar and what they've reported, everybody is still open for services, just in a different way. So if people are experiencing increased distress, whether it be mentally or physically, like we still are, like our message is we're still open, please contact us. And even though we might not be able to see you in person, depending on the situation, like we're here for you. And I think the community has responded beautifully in trying to be, trying to give that physical connection and and quote unquote physical connection in virtual ways and so you see programs like seven g's having like their virtual workshops indigenous circle of wellness also planning on doing that and having support groups. but i think the resounding message is reach out and if you are healthy enough like you know check on your elders check on your neighbors but call us because we are still here to help you
1: and where can people go to reach out if they need assistance um, or services
3: um, it depends on the services. <laughs> so if if people are experiencing increased anxiety, depression, et cetera, you know, of course, American Indian Counseling Center is here in Cerritos, and we are um, still taking new patients and obviously seeing our existing ones. And the same goes for seven generations at United American Indian Involvement. That's their mental health. Program. Also, we can't forget about Indigenous Circle of Wellness. You know, headed by Monique Castro. Those are pretty darn good culturally sensitive yeah. mental health services. You know, physical health services. Of course, would be the clinic at United American Indian involvement. And then I think what's really important and most pressing on a lot of people's minds is the again the social determinants of health. And so, what are what services can help their immediate situation? And so we think of our entities like Torres Martinez Tribal Tennis who um, supports families with children. And then we have other organizations who can provide one-stop emergency services and provide food, diapers, other supplies like that.
1: And you're listening to Dr. Andrea Garcia. She's an appointed commissioner with the Los Angeles City County Native American Indian Commission and works with the Los Angeles County Department of Mental Health and the American Indian Counseling Center here in Los Angeles County. She's speaking on COVID-19, urban indigenous Los Angeles community responses, impacts, and cultural health implications. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're gonna take a short break and we'll be right back.
0: Together, brothers and sisters. Sisters of-
1: Final segment of today's program on American Indian airwaves. We speak with Los Angeles Indigenous community member Monique Castro from the Diné Nation. She is founder and CEO of Indigenous Circle Wellness. I spoke with her recently regarding how the larger urban Indigenous population is addressing the abrupt and sudden changes to their lives and the cultural health implications of COVID-19. And now, Monique Castro on COVID-19, Urban Indigenous Los Angeles, Community Responses, Impacts, and Cultural Health Implications.
4: It's interesting because what I'm experiencing with my the clients that I see in my office, um, or actually right now we're doing teletherapy, so we're not seeing each other physically, but the folks that I'm connecting with, the clients that I work with, as well as like the larger community, what I'm noticing is a mix of different of different challenges, and actually some in some cases um, some positive reactions to it. So, for example, I being in Los Angeles in a very fast-paced, kind of always on the go environment, folks who are usually struggling with trying to like slow down and get grounded are finding that they're having that opportunity right now to actually like connect with themselves in a different way and being really creative in how they're using their time and then for other folks it, it's creating a lot of anxiety especially around like health anxiety so if someone's noticing that they have like a stuffy nose because we're in like also um, springtime, right and so there's allergies and so I'm noticing a lot of folks like bending they're just having a hard time even with like small symptoms of what could potentially be covid and so i mean it's important to obviously be very like mindful like is this you know am i sick um paying, paying attention but it's also creating like a, a different level of heightened like health anxiety that mm-hmm. I normally don't experience with folks as often. Given the circumstances, it, it makes all the sense that that would be that would be present. And then I just say over overall, um, one thing I've been hearing a lot is just like a roller coaster, right? Like there's like these peaks, these moments of like okay, you know, and then there's like these sudden drops, and every day is different. So as I'm speaking with folks on different days, and and even just Co- connecting with folks like on social media or friends that I talk to on the phone, and including myself, right? Because I also have my own experience and all of this. It's a very up and down experience. And mm-hmm. so I've just been reminding folks like this day by day, moment by moment, because It does feel very out of like we don't have a lot of control, and that that in itself creates stress and um, and a lot of different emotions, right?
1: Right. How does that stress compounded, if you will, in terms of what you're seeing in regards to Indigenous peoples, perhaps uh, abruptly being? unemployed, underemployed, or or even overemployed if if there's even situations like that. Because if you're overemployed, there's a good chance you're working in an occupation, you know, like yourself and others in the community that places you at high risk for exposure to not only COVID-19, but also places you in high risk of being a carrier of COVID-19.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I think that is one of the things that is, um, well, there's both ends of that spectrum, right? There's the underemployment or unemployment and then there's the overemployment and then there's of course that somewhere in the middle um and i will say like within my own household my my uh partner and i we both are are working and his work is in construction and so he's actually working on at this time he, he does the the hvac for what's going to be um, shelters for folks who are currently houseless so it's a very important work that he's doing so that these folks can have somewhere to to be living in the in the very near future um but it's scary because he's coming home and then, you know, so we have to have our own kind of uh, setup of like what that transition home looks like. And the same for me. So I'm not seeing folks in person, but I am working a lot more than I normally would. And I will say that moving everything to screen time, and this is what I'm also hearing from a lot of folks who are doing Zoom or doing teletherapy or anything that is Over, you know, where there's a screen in front of you, that light on your eyes is very taxing. And so that fatigue that folks are experiencing is also very real. And so I normally, I would say on average, see you know, somewhere between like five to six clients a day. And I would say by four, I'm like really exhausted. And it's not so much of what is being shared on the other end. I mean, there's heavy stuff, absolutely. But it's that sitting down in front of a screen for so long, that's really hard. And that is also, you know, our, our children are experiencing that as well they might have a little bit more stamina when it comes to having screen time because a lot of the things that they do are usually on electronic but it's a it's a different type of of exhaustion that folks are And that has an effect on our overall health and wellness.
1: Well, you're talking about uh, family dynamics, and I was curious in terms of the indigenous cultural mental health, if you will, how is that impacting family dynamics, especially with with most families, you know, um, under mandate to stay at home and, you know, maintain good social distancing practices? So how is that adding to or compounding uh, the mental health situation with Indigenous peoples in the area?
4: Yeah, you know, I think because of Indigenous people, we, we are really great at showing up for one another. And most of us have lived with multiple family members, you know, that, that has kind of been the way that, that we live, right? So we have, like, aunties and uncles and cousins and all of that, you know, everyone living together or close in close proximity. And so in some regards, I think that we're very much well-equipped to be together and show up for one another, right? Now, the challenge with that, though, is we're also not used to maybe always being in the same space at the same time together as frequently as we are right now. So patience our patience is running low. Um, mm-hmm. Frustrations around, you know, just boundaries and and space in in a home um, can create, you know, conflict. So I will say that overall uh, folks are just experiencing higher conflict, just like bickering and in more severe cases, right, where there might already be domestic violence or other challenges in the home, um, that is also heightened. So I don't want to not acknowledge that there's challenges as well, but there's also great, I'm also seeing how, because we are very collective and interdependent, and we support one another. I'm also seeing like just really amazing creativity within households as well, and just in the ways people are showing up. Where for some folks who um, may not have that experience living with others and, and supporting each other in that way, it's really it, it, it's it's more taxing for them.
1: And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves on COVID nineteen, urban indigenous Los Angeles community responses, impacts and cultural health implications. We're speaking with Monique Castro of the Diné Nation. She is founder and CEO of Indigenous Circle Wellness. And now back to the interview. Are you seeing... um, Any specific type of pattern emerge as a result of the COVID-19 situation that is perhaps more pronounced or aggravated as opposed to some of the other effects as a result of the COVID-19 situation?
4: Again, it it varies from person to person. Um, and some things that I've I've heard is folks who are generally the ones who show up to support, um, who are like the ones, folks who are like when we're thinking even back to Standing Rock, like there is the folks who like got items together and like ready to to donate them. And right now, because we're in this quarantine, and because we're a community that likes to give and to support one another, there's a lot of, in some, in some instances, guilt around like, I'm, I'm sitting on my couch, and I, I can't leave, but I want to be able to help. How do I help? What can I do, right? So one, um, there is desire and, and need to give back and not being able to do that. and That's hard right? Because we, there's folks who want to do that. In other cases, folks are having, um, what I'm also noticing is a trend around, um, as I mentioned earlier, just around like the health anxiety. And now that we're also at the beginning of the month, right? We're in April. This, I know for myself, it became like more real, like, wow, there's bills that need to get paid. Like, how are folks shifting um, the needs around finances, right? So all these things create stress, anxiety, potentially some depression. So, you know, I think we're still very early on in, like, what the, the long-term effects are going to be. But the current things, um, we kind of go through phases of, like, this sense of urgency, the fight-or-flight response, right? And this mm-hmm. is what we've seen in the stores where folks are trying to get the things that they need. And then now I'm, I'm starting to notice for some folks, it's like, okay, how do we make the best of the situation, especially with in California, we know that school pro- is not going to go back into session, right. right? So it's like, okay, this is not just a two-week change. This is potentially a several-month change, and how do we really make those adjustments?
1: And also, in, in speaking about adjustments and the fact that you're experiencing Indigenous people's frustration, if you will, of having to um, stay at home and be placated or situated in one fixed space— what does that mean in terms of our capacity or our ability to go out and engage in other forms of cultural expression in relationship to spaces outside of where we live? So, you know, for example, going to mm-hmm. gather medicine, going to ceremonies, um, how does that affect? Uh, indigenous people's mental health and, and also is that compounding that intergenerational trauma that a lot of people experience?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So, but I have seen um, on social media. Is again just really creative ways of connecting. And you're right, like we are, you know, kind of like we'd be entering like powwow season, right? This is where everyone is coming from all over and there's a lot of um, like interaction. Um, we just entered spring. There's so many things that we're not going to be able to engage in. But I will say that the community, especially here in Los Angeles, has mm-hmm. come together in really creative ways. Like I was before our call today, I was texting with our beating facilitator here that we Normally have in person, and we're kind of figuring out how do we do like a virtual beating class and get the materials out to the beating students. So something again, a lot of the things that we've never done before. Right. Um, I know that I I've been following folks doing like virtual powwows, so different dancers right. sharing their their dances and songs. So you know, again, getting creative. To, to meet our cultural needs because that is so important to us and that's a huge part of, of our wellness is the inclusion of our culture. So, you know, just seeing how folks are, are finding, um, yeah, just creative ways to show up um, and and then I, I would say even like, uh, and again, social media, right? Like it's, it's right. helpful to have access to it. It's also really um, exhausting to be on it for too long. So I also... Uh, you know know that but I will say that there's a lot of folks in the community who have never done anything virtually right, um, right. and are and are doing uh, like our learning curve <laughs> was <laughs> expedited quite quickly to to meet the needs of the community um, right. I've seen uh, cooking classes done I've seen um, you yeah, guys mentioned like powwows I've seen um, <laughs> I did. I facilitated a talking circle two weeks ago uh, with Native women. Um, we're going to have another talking circle, a virtual talking circle, um, in about two weeks from now. So we're we're, we're meeting the needs <laughs> right. in a in a new way.
1: Well, I, I'm also wondering too is that so many of us out here in the urban Los Angeles community, if you will, from you know, LA County, Orange County, and the surrounding counties, uh, you know, uh, we live away from our traditional homelands. And so because of this situation, you know we're seeing um, ceremonies you know canceled left and right mm-hmm. um, back home. And you know, a lot of these ceremonies are they are culturally significant and they're ceremonies that happen at particular times for a reason. And, and, Mm -hmm. and so a, you know, we're not being able to travel back home, um, even if these ceremonies are still happening or, you know, perhaps we can't travel back home because the ceremonies are being canceled because of how systemic the COVID-19 situation is. So, uh, and for a lot of us, say someone like myself, you know, we get to go home maybe once a year because home's 3,000 miles away or even economically we go home um, and home might be 300 or 600 miles away. And, and so what does that mean in terms Terms of our uh, cultural health, if you will, um, not only n- dealing with that now, but also in the future when those times um, come up.
4: Yeah, yeah, that's a, definitely stuff to that. Yeah, that's that's really important, um, mm-hmm. and you're so right. And I think what we're so in that we what we are experiencing, and what we what we will experience is grief. Yeah. Um. The, the grief of not being able to be with our relatives to be in ceremony. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a lot of things right now, a lot of shifts, a lot of transitions. And so one thing I've been inviting folks to remember is that, you know, we, what we do have access to, right? Like we are still part of mother earth. We are still um, able to step outside. So even in these small ways, you know, we can, we might not be able to be part of a, of the ceremonies that we hope hope for in this time, um, but knowing that we still have access to prayer, we still have access to uh, medicine. Um, there's different ways that we can connect, and mm-hmm. and I also think that our elders have always had changing times mm-hmm. and knew how to adjust, and our medicine people knew how to adjust. So I trust that you know, although there has been this big shift and we are also going to be grieving that um, we are very resilient and also very innovative. And in how are we going to still meet those needs of what, what those ceremonies represent and the importance of them. Um, you know, I can imagine maybe there's going to be, new, there's, there has been ceremonies that have been created because of new times. Right. So I'm also curious to see how that shows up in our communities as well.
1: Monique, any additional recommendations for our, our listeners and then uh, any contact information for the work that you do as the founder and CEO of Indigenous Circle Wellness?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So just a few quick tips. Um, I know this is a question I've had a lot of, like what can we do, right? I'd say keep it simple. Don't make it complicated. Simple as in create a wake-up time every day. Have a small routine. It doesn't have to be a complex routine um, or a schedule. Just something, some type of, like, what time do you wake up in the, in the day? What time is lunch, right? What time, um, even, like, what is, is news hour? <laughs> the news is sharing a lot of information. It could be very draining and overwhelming. So limiting the amount of intake of the information and knowing where your sources are coming from um, can make a big difference. And, then all, and, of course, like just taking care of yourself, drinking water, having, um, you know, eating and um, and doing some type of physical activity. Those things are going to make a big difference. Um, and also, as I mentioned earlier, is we still have the ability to step out of our homes, even if it means, you know, stepping outside and getting some sunlight, you know, spending some time with the sun for five, ten minutes. It's going to make a big difference, you um, So, you know, the small things, not worrying about how much are we doing, I should be doing more, I'm not doing enough, all of those messagings, um, just not allowing those to seep in and just do your best and stay grounded as possible. Um, And as far as contact information, there's a few ways to contact us. Folks can visit our website at www.icowellness.com. And we also are on social media, so Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, And our handle for Instagram and Facebook is at Indigenous Circle Wellness. um, And our Twitter handle is at ICO Wellness. So we hope that folks connect with us and uh, continue to be mutually supportive to one another at this time virtually.
0: The moment of silence is over.
1: And that was Monique Castro, founder and CEO of Indigenous Circle Wellness speaking on indigenous wellness in the times of COVID-19 and that concludes our show today on COVID-19 urban indigenous Los Angeles community responses impacts and cultural health implications a special thank you to our guests Pat Lopez Dr. Andrea Garcia and Monique Castro a special thank you to our musical guest, Aragon Star, Koopa Aina, Buffy St. Marie, and Profe, and the band Blackfire. American Indian Airwaves is mixed and mastered in the studio of Burnt Swamp Studio in Signal Hill, California. For Marcus Lopez, I've been your host for the hour, Larry Smith. Until next time.
0: And for the innocent you can't justify While your freedom manifests on their graves And the blood never comes clean from their guilty minds Nor the hands that hold the chains After all the lies and the empty promises, we take a stand on the land that you tried to bury us. For all the pain and all the suffering, we take a stand. We take a stand. We sleep cage against our fear. Been torn. Wearing our souls on the thread The moment of silence is over.